I'm JXM Licka, and welcome to this episode of our 2016 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, Managing Strip-Till Residue for Maximum Corn-on-Corn Yields, is being brought to you by Thurston Manufacturing, manufacturers of Blue Jet products. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available on iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to Thurston Manufacturing. For more than four decades, Thurston Manufacturing has been an innovator in fertilizer injection and conservation tillage equipment. Over that time, large acre farmers have found BlueJet to be synonymous with durability, low maintenance, and return on investment. A founding title sponsor of the National Strip Tillage Conference, BlueJet's Strip Tracker was the first strip till implement to combine onboard fertilizer carrying capacities with a stretched and staggered row unit. Visit www.blu-jet.com or call them today at 800-658-3127. Well, as we start seeing more harvested cornfields, farmers are left with both the blessing and the curse of managing crop residue. Finding the right technique and tools for breaking down corn stalks and tapping into the organic benefits can seem like a constant struggle. But strip-till can be a valuable ally in effective residue management, especially in a corn-on-corn system. Having thrived in this system for the better part of a decade, Stillman Valley, Illinois farmer Cade Bushnell says his residue management mantra starts with the understanding that planting season starts with the combine. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, brought to you by Thurston Manufacturing, we welcome Kate in to share his method and recommendations for not only managing heavy corn residue, but putting it to work as part of a systematic approach to developing a productive strip-till system. I'm Kate Bushnell. I'm not an expert. I'm a farmer. I've just had practical experience I uh, don't pretend to be an expert, but I am far enough away from home that I could be called one because it's more than 50 miles. So I'm a lot more comfortable standing out in a cornfield than standing in front of you. Um, Just a quick, I just want to ask some questions to the audience. Uh, How many of you currently strip till? A lot of you. How many of you are looking at strip till as a new approach on your farm or want to incorporate it? Okay, we got some new people. That's pretty cool. Because the hardest thing about farming is making changes. Because we get comfortable, we get complacent, we want to do the same thing over and over. My dad liked to make changes. He really liked to make changes, whether they made, in my opinion, sense or not. So, let's see if we can get this to work. If you're going to strip till, Adding, and you're new, especially for you new guys, adding a strip-till bar to your operation is a big step. But that's really the smallest step because it really is only part of the steps. Just like when we did tillage, 
A new chisel plow was only one of the steps. It had to be integrated into more than just, I'm gonna start chisel plowing or I'm gonna start strip tilling. So it's gotta be a complete system. You've gotta, you've gotta think it through or add it small pieces at a time. And this is probably one of the most forgotten things that everybody forgets and I forget is planting season starts with the combine. So residue must be chopped and spread evenly to do a good job. Even I do a lot of no-tilling. My strip tillage is strictly corn after corn. Everything else is no-tilled. So all my beans are no-tilled. All my corn after beans are no-tilled. And the reason why I do not strip till for beans or corn following beans is because I am about 80% HEL, so I've got a lot of erosion potential. With that low residue left over from the bean crop, I cannot strip till and avoid the erosion. So one modification made to the combine, this is an extremely important one, is I use Kelmer BT choppers on the head. And I use a Dawn Pluribus unit. I used to have a lot of issues with plugging because I'd get a long stalk in it and it would catch a lot of residue because 200 to 225 bushel corn is a lot of residue to get to flow through. So as you can see, the head has done a really nice job of processing that residue. And one thing that I would like to say that I really like about a stalk roll processing is it's not a lawnmower and it doesn't redistribute the residue throughout the field, evenly across the field. It concentrates it in that old corn row. So it's a lot easier. I have a lot less residue to sweep out of the centers of the row than I would if I had a lawnmower style. Um, planter setup. Uh, I know it's a strip-till deal, but you have to be prepared to plant in firm ground. You cannot take, in my opinion, you cannot take a planter that is set up to plant in a tilled only environment and successfully strip till because the penalty, occasionally you're going to get off the strip. It's just going to happen unless you got perfectly square fields and I don't have any perfectly square fields. What I got in fact, one of the names of our field is the dead cat field because it looks like, from a yield map, it looks like you ran over a cat in the road. So it's odd shaped. I've got a lot of stuff to deal with. So I'm going to get off the rows. So it's important to have the planter set up so that you can deal with a no-till environment. It's got to be able to plant. So you're going to set up your planter. I'm using Martin closing wheels, I use John Deere uh, single disc fertilizer opener, use good quality, I don't mean to offend anybody, but 1034-0 is not a good inferral. That's my opinion, and it's just my opinion, but I don't like 1034-0 because I've got very low CEC soils, and it will damage the corn inferral. So, go ahead. Uh, it can range from as low as three all the way to mid-twenties. And that can be in the same pass in the field. I'm uh, located on uh, a moraine 
Glacial Moraine is just north of me by a couple miles. And so we have a lot of rock, we've got sand, because as all that material washed out, it was deposited in different spots. And so it's everything from blow sand to kind of a black gumbo, very heavy clay soils. And that's another thing, ask questions as we go, go ahead. I'm using an agricultural liquid fertilizer product, and I'm using uh, ProGerm and SureK and Micro, and uh, those are inferral. And those are done with a Valen uh, seed tube guard because I do a lot of no-till, and the standard John Deere seed tube guards, which actually keep those blades apart, won't last half a season for me. I can't, I can't really tell you because it'll change from field to field. I'm not even going to guess because I'm not a, a real numbers guy. I'm more of a big pictures guy. So um, this does make a difference. So if you don't think that nitrogen needs to go on a planter, you really need to rethink that because I know it feels like you're being punished. Like the teacher making you do push-ups because you did something wrong in your classroom. Because liquid takes a lot of time. I'm not going to argue with you. It's, it absolutely is a time crunch eater. I've worked out a system where I can actually use them and get along pretty good. This is, you need to use your technology on the planner. You need to use RTK. Use everything that you can. Um, Last year I put on the E-Drives from Precision, loved them. They did an excellent job, no chains, no shafts, no bearings, did an excellent job. Their row shutoffs were great. Uh, obviously with 2020 I'm using uh, it on the planner to record hybrids. And you just, you really need to use the technology that's available. Don't be the first person to get it. Don't be the last person to get it. Because if you're the first person to get it, you get to work out all the bugs, but you want to be an early adopter, but not a pioneer. But if you don't adopt early and use it, it becomes a standard and you are at a competitive disadvantage with your neighbors because we do compete against each other. I think that uh, everybody needs to own a sprayer. I really believe that or have a very, very cozy relationship with your sprayer operated, operator. And I do a lot of herbicide drop work and I've done that for several reasons. One, I can. Two, I fall behind. I just soon not do the drop work. But you need to be able to do this. You need to be able to get in the field and treat with herbicides, your weed problems when they need treating, not calling somebody and then having to wait two weeks. Uh, with the wet spring we had, wet just after spring was over that we had, uh, they're still spraying soybeans in our area, which is way too late. So here's why I own a sprayer. If I pay, our, 
our approximate custom rate's about eight bucks an acre, which may be a little cheap for some place. But here's the math I did. If I do two applications on 400 acres at two dollars, and I've done two applications, that's just my beans, at eight bucks an acre, that's $6,400. In corn, I do a burn down. I do a herbicide application, which is an early post. I do a post-emergence with my Roundup. I do use a lot of glyphosate and a late season end application on 70, 750 acres. That's $24,000. So, and I do some foliar end, especially when we have a wet spring. I'm gonna tell you guys that's the fastest way to make a couple hundred bucks an acre that you ever do. If you've got nitrogen, uh, corn that is under nitrogen stress because of rain or wet, and I've got a lot of wet spots, I plan on doing this every year. It's just part of my program. It won't turn a sow's ear into a silk purse, but it will take 60 bushel corn and make it 150. And I will take 20 bucks an acre for 90 bushels of corn. But you have to be able to do it on a timely basis. My total save, I have $32,000 a year I can spend on a sprayer payment. I mean, and if, so that means just my rough rule of thumb is if I can pay for something in three years, it's probably a good deal to do. Plus, the real advantage is I get to have control over when, the time of day that sprays are applied as well as the day they're applied. This is a little different. You, everybody knows what a Y-drop system is. This is a uh, $300 Y-drop system. Not exactly as good, but I don't try to do a complete nitrogen application with this system. I'm only applying, what I do is I wait till the corn's about head high and then I determine my yield goal. If I am on the high side of the yield goal, I will apply another 30 units of N or 10 gallons of 32, roughly. And I'm just doing a simple application that's all part of making the sprayer work. This is the real reason why you need your own sprayer is because when you start doing a lot of strip tilling and no tilling, you get a lot of weed shifts. There are some weeds in here that we, I had never accounted never encountered five years ago. Everybody knows what that is, or maybe not. Anybody know what it is? It's pokeweed. We'd never had it. When Roundup came to our area, and they were doing early post applications of Roundup, this weed started showing up because it emerges kind of late in the season. And then we also had a shift to some trees here. And the trees can kind of be an issue, but Roundup Roundup system seem, or glyphosate system seem to have taken care of most of the trees, but the pokeweed, uh, I have to use drops and do corn a little bit later. By shifting that application date, you can shift around the weed species because they get used to, if you do the same thing every year, they, they adapt somehow. Everybody likes to talk about iron and the strip till bar. This is what I use. It's an eight row. I just use an eight row machine. I plant 16. It's not a shank machine. It's a disc machine. So it doesn't use, a, it's not a chisel plow that's 
wide because I'm coming at strip tilling from a different view than most of you guys. Most of you guys went from tillage to strip till and I've gone from no-till to strip till. And you know, the real reason why was because I needed more opportunities to manage the residue. So it's a, it's a good machine. There's all kinds of good machines. And what's important when you guys are researching your machines, most of you already have them, is that you understand what the capability of the machine is. Strip-till bar in action, um, builds very nice mounds. These are spring. I'm doing eight rows at a time. I plant 16. I use RTK um, extensively because I, I don't have square fields and I'm not that good of a driver. Probably 99. The, the question is, planting, strip tilling 8, planting 16, how often am I off the row? And if it's off the headlands, it's probably 100%. It's the headlands that raise cane with me. It's the corners. None, I don't think, I don't have exp, experience with the shank machine. This machine does not like to turn a corner. It's, it's worse than pulling the planter around a corner. It just doesn't like it. It's on the three-point, which makes it harder to go around. I don't know how the shank machines go around a corner, but I don't imagine they like it either. So you back into the corners, try to keep things as square as possible. So I am using uh, Deere's system because that's what I started with, but I'm using RTK, and I would say RTK is a must. And I have my own base station. Um, about Ten years ago, I went into the dealership and I said to the dealer, the sales guy, I said, you know, I'm having a little trouble with accuracy. I was not strip tilling at that time. I think I want to buy an RTK station. And he sat there for a minute and says, what the hell do you want that for? Really? I mean, talk about short-sighted. I was going to spend 18000 to put up at my own base station. And he, he want, he's sitting there saying, you don't need that. You don't need that. Now they have domes all over, and they have base stations all over. So um, times have changed, and we, are, we as farmers are demanding a lot more accuracy. Uh, residue uh, does not last very long on my farm. You can see this is a midden pile from the night crawlers. They pulled it up. It's actually pulling this leaf back down in as it dies and consuming that leaf. And we really don't, we, we tend to destroy our soil biology, and there was a discussion about uh, um, fungal-based breakdown of our residue, and that's really the major player that breaks down our residue. And the funguses live long time. They don't move very fast. They don't go very fast, but they're around for a long time, so they're very prone to being damaged by tillage. We'll get back to Kate's discussion shortly, but I did want to again take a moment and thank our sponsor, Thurston Manufacturing and Blue Jet Products, for making this program possible. For more than four decades, 
Thurston Manufacturing has been an innovator in fertilizer injection and conservation tillage equipment. Over that time, large acre farmers have found BlueJet to be synonymous with durability, low maintenance, and return on investment. A founding title sponsor of the National Strip Tillage Conference, BlueJet's Strip Tracker was the first strip till implement to combine onboard fertilizer carrying capacities with a stretched and staggered row unit. Visit www.blu-jet.com or call them at 800-658-3127. Well, reflecting on the discussion so far, Kate emphasized the value of having his own sprayer versus relying on the availability and affordability of a custom applicator. While maybe not an economical choice for every strip tiller, it's a decision that Kate says has directly led to higher yields and added flexibility for his split nitrogen applications. But he also noted the benefits of being able to more effectively combat weeds, which can be problematic in a continuous corn system. Being able to maneuver applications around invasive weeds can be a difference maker, Kate says, and disrupt the routine of certain species that can adapt to a stagnant fertility program. Let's get back to Kate's conversation now and hear more from him on his results and reasoning for moving from no-till to strip-till corn. You know, the real challenge, and all of us farmers face it, is corn on corn. So, I inherently understood that no-till, corn after corn, I was having some issues with it. So I was having stability of yield issues, is what I would call I could have a really good year, I could have a pretty crappy year. So I started making a program to stabilize those corn yields. So one of the biggest things beyond incorporating the strip-till bar was nitrogen on the planter to get that corn up and going coming back and side dressing, not asking one application of nitrogen to last throughout the season because it gets tied up early in the residue and I would end up with starved corn in the spring. Then the late season has just been the icing on the cake because I can go out there with, you know, 10 gallons of 32 when I've got good stands, good looking corn, and apply it at just before tassel, drop it on the ground, try to keep it off the foliage, sometimes I'm not very good at it, and add a lot of yield potential, but also not take the risk of that nitrogen being lost. Because if I applied all the nitrogen up, up front this spring, there were a lot of guys spending 100 bucks an acre to fly on urea, and it, it got to be expensive for them. The last one, foliar feeding, is just a wet, you know, there's probably as much prof, more potential to yield my, to raise my average yield on my farm by fixing the bad spots. Not making the good spots better, it's getting the bad spots to yield more than zero. Because this year, the bad spots, the wet spots are going to yield zero. So, the really bad spots, so outside of those, we had a lot of yellow corn, I foliar fed those, and it's a lot easier to 
to pull up your yield by fixing those than by adding another 20 bushels to the better areas. It's really a, a guess because it needs to be done when you can get in the field, obviously, but it needs to be done as it's starting to dry out and warm up. Because what you're doing with the foliar, it can be a foliar nitrogen. I happen to use uh, uh, foliar nitrogen and then some uh, micros, in a couple quarts of micros in that on the foliar. And basically it's like giving, when somebody's sick, the first thing they do is they put in an IV and they get them feeling a little better and then they let them drink water and then they let them start eating. Your corn plant, by putting that on, you stimulate the root system to grow again because it has been under a lot of stress. You may have a top. Now, I'm not saying if your corn looks the color of this carpet, nice orange color, it's probably done. But if it's stunted and damaged, you can get it going again. Yes? How much nitrogen are you putting on? In the foliar? In the first batch. 10 gallons, roughly 10 gallons of 32, so you got 32, almost 40 pounds with your planter. Uh, depending on the year and the help, I may include some with the spray material. Then when I come back with the side dress, with the side dress bar, I've actually got a fast bar. I don't have any pictures of it in here. Um, I will put on any place, depending on the field, any place between 20 and 40 gallons, and depending on the field, depending on the rotation. And then I will come back with a late season side dress if the corn looks good and I've got good yield potential. Sometimes we know that we don't have good stands. Um, and so you can pretty much knock that off. But then that's another 10 gallons of 32. And that's... I do, yes, good, it's an excellent question. I would like to, but here's the catch. If you are off the row, you take a huge yield hit by being off the row of not just the strip, but your nitrogen. You get eight inches away from the nitrogen, it might as well be two feet because it just doesn't get to the, that young plant as it's going. So it's really important to maintain that distance and that's the best way to keep the accuracy is if it's on the planter. Not for everyone. It's, it's like I said, it's kind of a pain and it, you feel like you're being punished for doing the right thing. Does that answer your question? Yeah, but you're also a lot bigger plant. Yeah, I mean, we're dealing with a plant that had, already has 10 gallons. I do between three to four inches away with the 32. So it's not a two-by-two two placement. It's, it's a two-by-four placement. But you, you're also dealing with a lot smaller plant, and it's already had some right next to it, so it's getting up and getting going. This is a very simple thing. This takes two two drop nozzles. You can go to your dealership if you've got the ability to do this. That's one drop nozzle here and some adapters. Then here's the orifice and another adapter to get all this hooked back together and that is all located right here.
there's a weight hanging here. I do every other row. The reason why I do every other row, every row would be probably preferable, but I am, uh, I get kind of old and tired and not feeling very good by the time I get to this. And if I get off the row, I only burn half the corn. <laughs> so you don't start with the nozzle in the center. You start with them on each side. And then you don't put nitrogen on where your tires go. And that is an advantage. So I've been doing this for a lot of years like this. The wide drop system came out. And uh, I like the theory of it. Like I said, this is $300. And quite a few of you own a wide drop. And you know how expensive they are. There's not a yield advantage. University of Illinois has done this study over and over, even with Skipro and Hydrus. But you've got to remember, I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket. You just don't put all the eggs in one basket. Yes? That is every row. And that's, just, that's partly because that's just the way it came and it's set up, and I don't have a reason to change it. Um, corn on corn. In our neck of the woods, I pretty much convinced myself, and everybody has to convince themselves, fungicide pays. I am concerned about the side effects of fungicide because I'm trying to raise a, the soil health on my soils. I have experimented with headline in furrow. I, I have my reservations about it. I could not make it work and make it pay, but I did try it. So fungicide is pretty much a no-brainer. When you're doing the fungicide, uh, we pulled out the insecticide this year and used uh, a couple gallons of Coron, which is just a nitrogen product. It's not very much nitrogen, but anything you can do to keep the corn fat and happy at this time of year is a pretty big deal. They're making the pass anyway. What's that? They need, yes it is, and I have a lot of trees and I am very impressed with the applicators. They will wait, and I've got one field that's 54 acres that's along the river, so it's got a 50 foot bluff on three sides of it, and then it's got big trees on top of the bluffs, and they get right in there and spray it, and those guys, those guys aren't right. <laughs> now. The strip till bar is not the only way to manage your residue. And I want, I think most of you here, and I'm preaching to the choir, is it's not residue destruction. We're not trying to get rid of the residue. What we're trying to do is manage the residue, which is a totally different thought process because, you know, before we'd, we had farmers that would batwing mow or flail it and then chisel plow it. And by next spring, there was no residue. And by next spring, the ditches were full, not of corn stalks, but their soil in our area. So you've got to use these other management ideas, cover crops and soil health. And they are a big part of it. Um, if you're going to be happy with a liquid system on a planter, you need to get volume on it. If you're going to pull a wagon behind it, it works really good 
but it's pretty hard to plant the outside round with the wagon behind it. I pull into the field, drop the wagon, use the tank on the planter, plant the outside rounds, back up to the wagon and hook up. Well, it was always a two-person job, but we put a hydraulic winch on the backside of that, and that saved, saved me a lot. It made it so that I would use the wagon. So, you know, it was a couple thousand bucks, and it was kind of a pain in the butt to put on, but very, very convenient, and it makes it work. Soil biology does a lot to work on the residue. You need to be conscious. I know we're strip tillers, but we need to be conscious about soil health for a lot of reasons, but this is the big one. That cornfield is continuous corn and has been almost five years of continuous corn. There is no residue buildup in that field. And everybody taught, I hear occasionally people talking about the residue buildup. And if you're having a residue buildup, you're having a soil health issue. You're not having a residue issue. You've, you've got done something else that's destroyed your uh, soil health. Again, soil health. Like the barbed wires laying in the field. Uh, I guess I need to go pick that up. There's some wire laying here. This is all that's left of probably 180 bushel corn crop. You've got 90% of what's left in the field now is cobs. This is one of my accidental test strips. That's that light, lighter sandy soil. <laughs> yeah, no, the worms aren't dragging the barbed wire. We tore out the fence and it probably ended up out there. So. It's back to the cover crops. This field's had a lot of cover cropping in it, and the cover crops do a lot to not only boost the soil health, and I'm, I'm an advocate of keeping the cost of cover crops low, so I am using some low-cost systems, but back to the soil health, you've got the night crawler with the midden pulling the leaf in, and they talked about the funguses earlier. You, I never used to see that, ever. Not only would I not see night crawlers, but you'd never see a mushroom in the field. And this, that is a very desirable thing, even if it's white mold, because you want, we're really depending on residue breakdown is, occurs on the surface of the soil with funguses. It doesn't occur, the big, big operator on that is the funguses break it down. And that's a lot of what guys talk about the lag when they go from a tillage system to a no-till system. We don't see it with the strip till, but when you go to no-till, it takes three or four years to build that soil health up and in particular get the fungi, fungi colonies going. I do some vertical tillage. It's called a 750 drill. It modifies the residue and plants cover crops at the same time. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of keeping the uh, cost low. So this is my 1983 or 84 John Deere tractor. Probably a $25,000 tractor with a $10,000 dome and $15,000 worth of stuff in the cab to pull a $5,000 drill. That's a 1982 drill. Doesn't take a great drill to do it. But it does do a good job, as you can see in this picture, of modifying the residue. I get uh, young men 
that are either high school or college age that will come out and run it. The technology is important because if they can set it, they understand, they get the technology pretty fast. They catch on really, really fast. And they can get in the tractor and plant and requires very little supervision of me. So they will actually start planting cover crops the day I start combining. And that I'm far enough north that you better be doing that. And they stay caught up pretty well. I had a young man last year who, you know, it'd break down and he'd just go get parts. He wouldn't even call me. It was great. But part of the trick is having that technology in the cab because if they have a bad experience and they leave a bunch of rabbit runs and somebody gives them a little grief about it, they won't come back and work. <laughs> they just, they don't like to make mistakes. Yes. Rye is really my cover crop of choice. I do, after a, a small grains, I keep, my program on keeping cover crop cost low is to grow my own cereal rye. I've got field across from my house, it's 20 acres, it's in places it's 80 feet wide, it's odd, it used to have a pit silo in it which tells you that it's full of limestone. Um, it will grow maybe 40 bushel beans and I can grow 50 bushel rye on it. And at $10 a bushel I'd a lot rather grow rye than, than beans because I'm replacing seed that if I didn't grow it I'd have to buy it. I get it cleaned and then I use that pretty much as my go-to because r cereal rye can be planted any day the ground isn't frozen. If you're growing it for seed, you probably want to, we have to use a higher rate. I'm just going to tell you I'm far enough north. As you go south, you can get by with lower rates. If I'm growing it for seed, it's probably 90 pounds is my goal. And just regular cover crop that I will kill in the spring, 70 pounds. And so if you're farther south, you can probably half that rate on cover crop. So... Um, the other reason why you need to own your sprayer, own sprayer, especially if you use cover crops, is termination is a big deal. And terminating it on the right day is a big deal. And you don't want to be calling, in my case it would be the co-op, and saying, can you get here today? And they say, no, we're all uh, applying 32% yet and we haven't switched machines. And then they show up a week later, the rye was this tall, now it's this tall. So cereal rye can get away from you pretty fast and it requires a high level of management. The question was moisture on drought prone soils. I've seen some studies done from in the spring of the year. Uh, I've seen uh, studies in Texas done that bare ground, because they're the ones who are more concerned about evaporation from bare soil. They're saying that evaporation from bare soil is almost the same rate as the evaporation from a cover crop. So what I'm going to tell you is in a wet year it'll make the ground a little wetter and in a dry year it'll make it a little drier. But my, in a normal year I'm going to tell you it's moisture neutral. But you have to be careful because 
Cover crop, especially cereal rye, if it's not short and it starts getting tall, you either plant it green or you got a problem. If you get tall cereal rye and it's dry, it either needs to be tinder dry or green because it'll go through the machine if it's green. It'll wrap like a bugger if it's kind of tough. So there are some real big warnings about cereal rye. Yes? My goal, because we're pretty far north, is boot top high in front of corn. I have planted, I've gotten caught and I've planted it green. I have, which means tall rye, waist high rye. I planted quite a bit that was knee high this year. Um, but nitrogen management on the planter and nitrogen management is the key. I'm thinking, my gut tells me that allelopathy is, everybody talks about it. I've never seen it in six years. I think it's a myth. I think it's something that can happen, but I can also get struck by lightning. So it can happen, but it's nitrogen management is the key. Uh, a head of soybeans, you can let it. I'm in favor of planting it green. I've done it up to seven feet. It takes some kahunas. It, well, Actually, when the tra tractor and the planter were in the field, you could not see the planter. And boy, did it get the coffee shop going. So, technology. This is a big part of strip tilling. RTK, and you guys all know this. So I use RTK-based engine, yield sense, swathing on everything. I've got some type of swath control. Actually, swathing doesn't cost anything it ends up being free because it saves you money. It take, took me two years to pay for my first swathing uh, upgrade, which was about $6,000. Took two year payback. Wow, that's, if I could do that on everything, I'd be great. So swathing on the planter, the side dress bar, the sprayer, and the combine. Auto steer on the 8410T. This is, you're looking at my equipment lineup because I don't go to the field without some type of GPS on it. The other thing on the planner I do is I've got the uh, passive implement control that Deere has where there's a dome on the planner and it tries to, it, the planner and the tractor talk back and forth. It works really great on straight, not so good on curves because occasionally it'll think it's doing something and you get a big jump around with your piece of equipment and it kind of spooks you. There is no question in my mind that it has made my farm more profitable to strip till corn after corn. There is no question, because um, I have had fields that, uh, I had a farm last year that, previous to me taking it over, that was run by a farm manager. The best yield they'd ever had on it was 143 bushels. It was a cattle farm. I took out a lot of fences. The tillable acres went from uh, about 80 to 350, and last year the average corn yield on that was 225. And if you'd told me, and a lot of that was strip till corn after corn, and if you'd told me that it would be anything ever near that, if you'd told me when I rented that farm that it was going to make 200 bushels, I would have called you a liar. Because the first year I farmed it, the soil tests were so poor 
that we use DAP for the nitrogen source. That was the only nitrogen applied to the field. It was, it had, it's the first time I've ever seen a farm with single digit P and K levels. It was, it was pretty bad and it really can't, has come a long ways in five, six years. Anybody else have any questions? Yes. Yes, and here's what happened. I've got a lot of terraces. It is very difficult for me to strip till around terraces because I have a lot of headlands where I start on the headland and I drive 90 degrees away from the headland, drive around and end up 100 feet away from where I started, turning on the same headland. Those are really, really hard to strip till, so those stay a corn bean rotation. If I can farm it straight, it's pretty much continuous corn. So I'm a third corn after corn, I'm a third corn after beans, I'm a third soybeans. Yes? I've been thinking about the drops on the spare, what you're doing. Right. Like the late season. Why not use a hose? Okay, so the question is, the drops in the hose that drags. So what you're doing is the first drop comes out of the sprayer and it drops down and here's the orifice. It's hooked in here. So you're metering the pressure here. And then you can take it down. I can't run a hose because in corn after corn that hose flips around like nobody's business at 13 miles an hour. It just, it, it's whipping around. So you meter it here in between the two drops. Then it's all low pressure down here. And it will drop two foot in a stream right to the ground and not splash because there's no pressure behind it. The trick is get no pressure. If you drag the hose or if I drag the tips, the thing I forgot to tell you about that drop is there's also a weight on it. I went to uh, a metal shop and I ordered a piece of pipe that I could just cut the end off the drop nozzle and slide it on there and it's a big heavy wall it weighs about two and a half pounds and that keeps it down in the canopy so that it doesn't pull back when you drive and ideally I should be doing corn this high well this year it was this high I was I was actually having trouble seeing over the top of the corn when I was in the cab so and it did burn some leaves but not badly and they're all below the ear so, any other questions? Yes. Correct. I would prefer to strip in the fall, strip right through your cover crops. Just plant the cover crop, strip through it, it'll look like hell, you'll look at it. If I strip till in the spring, it looks terrible and you, you get done with the field and you look out there and you go, oh, God, I just destroyed my whole cover crop and in a week you can't tell that you even stripped it. So back to when I stripped till, preference is fall, but the priorities are combine first, cover crop second, strip till third. So if I can't get the strip tilling done, I'm perfectly comfortable strip tilling in the spring but the caveat to that is I would prefer to have it rain on the strips because my planter is set up to no-till. 
and it will, if I go into loose dirt, it moves way too much dirt. The question is, do cover crops ever get so big you can't strip till into them? Um, I've never had that happen. I can't, I'm not going to tell you it won't happen. I'm not telling you it can't happen, but it just hasn't. Mostly because I own my own sprayer, so I have control over the day it gets sprayed. You know, that's... No, it depends. I'm going to go back to it, and this is all the management, this is part of the management issue of cover crops, is it depends. So, back to your question, if it's a really, really dry spring, I'll terminate my cover crops quicker. If it's a really, really wet spring, I'll let them go. And it goes back to owning your own sprayer, because then you can decide, because when you've got a matacorn residue and cover crops, you have to be really hard pressed to get stuck. I can tell you, I drove through a lot of standing water this year. I didn't spray through it, but I drove through it. Um, mostly because going straight is a lot better than trying to turn. So you're a lot less likely to get stuck. Um, but I've never been stuck yet. <laughs> so, um, it, it just depends. I mean, it's really hard to nail down because you have to make the best decision you can the day that it's there because there's so many what-ifs. And one thing I'd like to encourage everybody to do is always think of the plan B. What do you do if, oh, I hit a tile blowout and I tear out, off the front leg of my sprayer, other than swearing a lot, um, what's my plan B? You know, think about what your plan Bs are because we all know that what we want to happen and what happens are two different things. So part of the reason why I own a, the sprayer with the drops is that's my plan B if I can't get into my corn with my fast bar. So, you know, which is a lot cheaper than spending 100 bucks an acre to have 100 pounds of urea flowing on. Anybody else? have any questions? Well, I'll tell you, I am no expert, and I want to thank you guys for coming because I learn more from the audience coming to these conferences. I've been to the No-Till conference several times and really enjoy it, and this is the first time here, and the audience teaches me a ton. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Cade, for your candid discussion on the elements and effort that goes into developing a comprehensive corn-on-corn -corn residue management strategy in strip-till. And once again, if you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series on iTunes or the Google Play Store, and that will allow you to get an alert when future episodes are released. Well, a big takeaway for me from today's program is the importance of a flexible fertility program. And Cade noted that one of the challenges he's had with no-tilled corn was the ability to stabilize yields. And a switch to strip-till and split applications of nitrogen especially proved to be a successful combination. With corn-on-corn -corn yields well above 200 bushels per acre, 
Cade credited his willingness to evaluate and act on in-crop nutrient needs with side dress or foliar applications as significant contributors to a profitable continuous corn system. Well, again, we'd like to thank and recognize our sponsor, Thurston Manufacturing, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program. So feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And you can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Strip-Till, F-A-R-M-R, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Finally, another reminder and invitation to join us at the fourth annual National Strip-Tillage Conference coming up next August 3rd and 4th in Omaha, Nebraska. Stay tuned for more information and updates on the conference, and you can get that information at www.striptillconference.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on October 26th for the next episode in our 2016 podcast series, Getting to the Root of Strip-Till Fertility, where veteran agronomist Mike Peterson will dig deep into the importance of a strong and healthy root structure in strip-till. For Kate Bushnell, Thurston Manufacturing, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jackson Licka. Thanks for listening. <music>